say that word again. So I just said, the one thing that Ezekiel did was, and in spite of the fact that he thought the whole conversation was dumb, Ezekiel chapter 30-something, Ezekiel thought the whole thing was dumb, and he thought it was some kind of a trick. Um, He never make the mistake of saying this something's impossible. Um, I saw there's a, a line. Um, um, oh, one line from a movie we saw that Laura wants to go see, so I won't give the whole thing away, but in the Christopher Robin movie, um, they're, they're encouraging, some characters are encouraging each other at one point saying, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And Winnie the Pooh says, nothing is certainly possible. I do nothing every day. <clears throat> so, so some of you get that place in your spiritual life where you're doing nothing every day. Uh, <clears throat> and Ezekiel was like, I don't know what to do, God. This is some kind of a trick. And God just... But he, he never, Ezekiel didn't make the mistake of saying, no, this is impossible. You can't ever say to God, this is impossible. So Ezekiel kind of hedged his bets by saying, it's up to you, God. If you want to do it, you can do it. And I'm going to trust you either way, but if you want to do it, you can do it. So if God gave you a word for a situation and you're thinking, this is stupid, but you thought you heard something, just keep speaking that word and just say, God, it's up to you. God, it's up to you. God, it's up to you. I'm trusting you. Nothing is impossible. God, I'm going to trust you either way. Uh, Amen? Do I have to say amen to that? Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right. So, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. I'm going to put a picture up here. I'm going to give you like t- 10 seconds to think of a caption for this picture. All right? And let's just see who comes up with the best one. Ready? <laughs> what? Let's, let's all say it out, out loud. He's dead, Jim. Now, Randy doesn't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, so, Dr. McCoy, if he said this line once, he said it how many times? Like, I don't know how many episodes there were from 1966 to 1968, but... Um, but almost in every episode, somebody dies. Usually, crewman number six in a red shirt. A red shirt. Uh, and it was always, they always called uh, Dr. McCoy. And Dr. McCoy would always look at him. And then he would look up and he would say, This man's dead, Jim. This man's dead. Um, I'm just a doctor. I'm not a... A miracle worker. Uh, oh, God bless him. So, 
So just keep that in mind. It'll come up again in a minute. All right, so um, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to tell what you've experienced with miraculous results. The Holy Spirit, the, the, the life of God uh, from the foundation of the world, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells where? In me. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And sometimes all God wants is for you to speak a word, to just open your mouth and just tell your story, not thinking about what's going to happen next, or speak a word of faith like we did this, what we went through this morning. In obedience to what the Holy Spirit has told you to do, you just step out in faith and you do it, and you don't worry about that, the results because who's in charge of results? Peggy's in charge of results? Are you volunteering to be? Oh, this, who's in charge of results? Jesus, the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, the three in one. God is in charge of results. You are not in charge of results. Turn around to somebody and say, listen to me, you are not in charge of results. You are not in charge of results. You, we are only in charge of one thing, obedience. We are in charge of responding in faith to what the Holy Spirit directs us to do. And for Ezekiel, it was like, you want to go outside into a battlefield uh, and just talk to dead bones? Is that what you want? Is that what it's come to? Uh, What kind of a test is this? Um, we're only responsible for obedience. We, and if you, if you hesitate in your obedience by saying, this is not going to work, this is not going to work, this is not going to work, this is so dumb, God, why are you making me do this? Uh, and, and so you don't just simply trust and obey, then we'll never know what happens next. When God spe- speaks and it's clear, now I'm not talking about making stuff up and saying you know what, I'm going to go out and speak some words and I'm going to try to force God to do what I want him to do. Don't do that. But if you've got, well, you know what it feels like when the Holy Spirit's going, <clears throat> hello, um, McFly, McFly, or Bueller, Bueller. But, uh, the Holy Spirit starts talking to you and you know it's the Holy Spirit. And you're like, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to make a good choice. I want to make a bad choice. I want to keep on making the same choices I've always made because I know how to do those. I know what the rules are. I know how it's going to turn out already, so I won't be disappointed. Please let me just, I just want to keep making the same choices I've always made. Don't make me do something different. Sometimes God just says, open your mouth and trust me. Take a step and trust me. Step into the river and trust me. You are not in charge of results, but you are responsible for being obedient, whatever the Holy Spirit directs you to do. And, but when you start telling what you've experienced, sometimes 
miraculous things happen, exceeding abundant beyond anything you can ask or think. Your God is too small. Our prayers are too small. Most of our actions are done in the flesh instead of by faith. Just give God a chance to speak to you and then don't sell him short. Just do what he asks. All right, so what happens next? All right, here's our map again. When last we left our intrepid heroes, they were in the Antioch that's up in Galatia. It was Paul and Barnabas and some other dudes, uh, uh, crewmen, you know, you know, disciple number six and whatever those those guys were. They're they're in Antioch, Pisidia, or Antioch of Pisidia, and they they had just had this fantastic church service in the synagogue there. Boom! They. They told, they told people some fantastic news that they had never heard before, and they completely freaked out. And just uh, so they said, here's some good news for you. Uh, they told them the whole story of uh, the history of Israel and the story of Jesus. And then they said, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for all your sins. Your sins are forgiven. They've been working uh, in the synagogue trying to figure out the best way to just stay ahead of their sins. Do the kind of things, make, you know, keep the holidays, make the sacrifices, try to keep... There's an avalanche of sins chasing me. I'm trying to run just as fast as I can to, to, get, to get them canceled out by living by the law and doing these sacrifices, hoping that my sins won't catch up with me and crush me. I'm just trying to do as the best I can for God. And that's exhausting. How many of you know what that feels like? And so, so Paul says, because of all of this, your sins are all forgiven. Um, oh, there's this wonderful old Albert Finney movie called Scrooge. How many of you, it's the musical version of Scrooge. How many know about that? Uh, if you've ever seen that, we watch it every Christmas. At the very end, there's this scene where Scrooge brings out his, his ledger and he's had this change of heart and he says uh, that, uh, and, uh, and beginning this day, all my debts are ended, which means all the money that you owe me is ended. And he starts ripping pages out of his ledger and just throwing them up in the air and all the people are are gathered around. They think he's lost his mind, but he's ripping out all these debts and just throwing them in the air. And every time he, and they're going, hooray, hooray. And then they, all, they start singing the big finale song, which is, you remember what it is? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. Things the way they are. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, just and da la da la da la da. So that that's what happened. He, he declared to them, "All your sins are f- forgiven right now. You don't have to run anymore to keep ahead. They're all wiped out. Your sins are all forgiven." Woo-hoo! And they had never heard that in the synagogue before, and they were going like, "Wait, what? I don't I don't have to just keep running anymore. My sins are forgiven. Uh, that's crazy." Um, and my phone's dead. Oh, oh look at that. Uh, guys, 
That's a wonderful picture, Anna. Uh, okay, I found it. Uh, but then he comes up, but wait, there's more. This is, when, I saw, when I read this the other day, um, we, of course, we've we talked about it the last two weeks, but when I, the first time I saw this, and I read this a million times, boom, look what else he said. And through Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. What does that even mean? You, all, these things, all these things you've been going through all your life that you've been trying to fix, and they keep dragging you down and dragging you down, and you try hard, and then you lose, and you try to do better, and then you lose. You're freed from all of them. The law of Moses couldn't free you from anything. Do better, try harder doesn't free you from anything. It just makes you go like this. Oh, this is chapter 13, verses 38 and 39 of the book of Acts. So now the people are just going crazy. They're going, and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> yeah. Um, and then last week, we got to this part. Paul and Barnabas were leaving church, and people kept saying, Please come back. Please come back. We want to hear more about this. Come tell us more about this freedom. Come tell us more about getting uh, set free from our sins. Come tell us more. How, what does this mean? This is the craziest thing we've ever heard. We want, we want to know more. We want to know more. But you know what? Here's, here's, I am thoroughly convinced that most people who aren't following the Lord today, the main reason they're not following the Lord is because they've never heard this stuff. Somehow, the devil has distorted the message that the church puts out, and we, we are complicit in it. For what, we keep, what people keep thinking of when they keep thinking of Jesus and thinking of the church is do better, try harder, try to make yourself better, try to make yourself nicer, try to make yourself worthy, uh, come live by our standards, and we'll tell you what God's standards are. And when we think you've reached God's standards, and instantly coming to our church will make you more worthy. If you come to church and you do what we tell you to do, and you, and you talk like we do, and you dress like we do, and, we sing, and you sing our songs, and you do all the stuff that we do, then maybe your sins will be forgiven. Nobody knows what so many people who aren't following the Lord aren't following the Lord because they think it's all about do better, try harder, and they haven't heard that Jesus came to free them of everything that they couldn't be free of by whatever it is that they're doing. And these people got the message and they said, please come back and tell us more. Please come back and tell us more. And so Paul and Barnabas said, okay, we can tell you this one thing right now. Continue in the grace of God. Now that you've heard what the grace, now that you've heard about God's grace, now that you've heard that your sins are forgiven, now that you've heard that Jesus has come to free you of, that by putting your faith in Jesus, you'll be freed from everything that you couldn't be freed from before. Keep continuing in grace and don't get sucked back into. Let's all do that. You kind of have to wake up. One of, some of your feet are going to sleep anyhow, so. Okay, just keep continuing in the grace of God. And we, we get all excited about the grace of God on Sunday morning, and then we walk out the door, and before we get to the car, the devil's trying to suck us back into. We think, oh, gosh, 
I've got to, and this is happening, and I've got to make this plan. And you get sucked back into trying to be in charge of everything and not trusting the grace of God for anything. All right, so... But wait, now we're today's... This is today's new scripture. The next Sabbath, this is verse 44 of chapter 13. The next Sabbath, so now it's a week later, they've come back to church, to the synagogue, because that's, they asked them to do it, so... Uh, they hung around in town and probably had a few Bible studies, went to Chick-fil-A a couple of times. They just started just seeing the sights of Antioch Pisidia because it was kind of a cool town. They come back to the synagogue the next Saturday or Friday night probably. Friday. But when the Jews saw the crowds, there was, a, it was, it was it looks it says the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, if the whole city showed up, that means not only did they get all the Jews who had to be there because it was synagogue, who else showed up? All the Gentiles who had heard, wait, there's new stuff going on. All the Gentiles who were probably not necessarily that welcome in the synagogue, but all the Jews, all the Gentiles, they packed the place out. There were probably people like watching it on closed circuit cameras from the next uh, Anyhow, they were, they were just was super full. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken to by Paul. And they were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and they said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. This is a very eye-opening phrase. As far as I know, this is the only place it appears in Scripture, and Paul's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the, the people who know more about God and, and the history of God's people than anybody else. And they, there, were, there was jealousy, and they began contradicting the things spoken to by Paul, spoken by Paul. So we know... That what Paul had said was, your sins are forgiven, and you are now freed. It's now possible for you to be, by putting your faith in Jesus, you can now be freed of, of all the things that the law of Moses never was able to free you from. So that's, we know that was Paul's message the previous. So if the Jews are contradicting those things, what are they saying? Uh, what are they so? Wait, yeah, say that. You still have to follow the law. Your sins, your sins aren't really forgiven because there's, we all know there's only one way to get your sins forgiven. You have to keep on sacrificing. You have to go to the temple. You have to offer little things. You have to uh, be there to celebrate the feast day. No, no, your sins aren't forgiven. And you're going to be in big trouble. You, you're trying to get free from the law of Moses, you're going to end up with the curses of the law and bad things are going to happen to you. Fear, manipulation, um, intimidation. It's a trick. Or, we hear in Star Wars, it's a trick. It's a trap. Uh, and Paul says, man, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for this. I tried. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first because why? Because you're Jews, you're God's chosen people. We wanted you so much. 
Paul agonizes over this in the, in the book of Romans where he cries out, they're my people, I want them. I'm not gonna give up on them because God loves them. But I went to the Gentiles because at least temporarily the Jews had closed their ears. But here's this thing. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. What? You, you judged yourselves? Paul says, I'm not judging you unworthy of receiving eternal life, but you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. What's going on here? What, what were the, the... The Jews were saying, and Lars, Lars already brought it up, so we, we'll just reprise it here. The Jews were saying, no, you've... You've got too much sin. Sin's too big a thing. You've, you've got to keep running and, and sacrificing and doing all of these things because we're all such terrible sinners. We're horrible, terrible sinners, and the only hope we have is to keep on keeping the rules and hope that it's enough. These folks were lifelong law livers. Lifelong, can we, let's all say that together. Lifelong law livers. Lifelong law livers. And they probably had little cards in their wallets that said, hi, I'm Jackie English. I'm a lifelong law liver. High five. Uh, they were absolutely convinced that it was up to them to earn their salvation and grace scared them. It was brand new. It was unheard of. It completely contradicted everything they'd been taught. And they knew that you had to keep keeping the rules because we are flawed. We are sinners. Um, we're doing our, the best we can to do all the sacrifices and, and tie away all the stuff to try to keep God happy with us. But we know deep down that God isn't happy with us. We know deep down that we have to keep doing better, trying harder. And this notion that it's just free, that our sins are just forgiven, that couldn't possibly apply to us. Because I, I know my heart. I even know your heart. Uh, and me and Zebediah over here, we talk about your heart all the time. We know about you. Uh, you're, we could never be worthy of that. We have a plan here. We have a system. We have our cards. We are lifelong law rivers, livers, law rivers. Uh, and salvation only comes by running as hard and fast as you can. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. I'm sorry, but we're going to the Gentiles because the Gentiles seem to be completely freaked out, fired up over this. So we're not going to waste any more breath on you. We'll talk about that next week. But anyhow, there's this. So I have a question. Probably have several questions. Here's Satan's big lie. I am not enough, and because I'm not enough, I'll never be loved. I'm not enough. And since I know I'm not enough, I'm, I'm afraid I will never be, I'll never be loved. The Jews were struggling with their own version of this. The Jews were struggling with spiritually, I know that I should be 
more dedicated. I know I should be more serious. I know I should try harder. I know I should do better. Uh, and I'm just not. Even Paul in Romans 7, that's what finally broke his heart and, and drew him to Jesus because he realized that he kept the laws in all the ways he possibly could and he was still breaking the law every day. And that's when he realized he was trapped. And if it was up to him, he was going to fail God. And these people are dealing with the same thing. And we deal with it today. The devil still does it to us today. Uh, For the Jews, they were comparing themselves to God's law. And all the encyclopedias on the Library of Congress stacks of books uh, about all the different ways that you could end up breaking the law if you weren't careful. And they were overwhelmed with that. But today, here we are. I am, if, if the phrase that we deal with is, I am not enough, and so I'm afraid I won't be loved, what is the enough that you think you aren't achieving? When, you're, when the devil says, you know you're not enough, you know you're not worthy, you know you're not, what does it mean to you? I'll just do some blanks here because we're going to have a little fill-in-the-blank conversation. For you, when you're looking at your version of enough, and seeing that, well, that didn't go well today. What kind of things do you, do you feel like you're not enough? Just in, in your life right now, not trying to make this into something spiritual because it can be lots of things, but where, where does the devil try to convince you that you're not enough? Anybody want to just theoretically, what? Perfection, not perfect. Wait, newsflash. Are you saying that... Carl, are you saying you are not perfect? Okay. <laughs> it's not enough. And trying to achieve perfection. And here's the, here's the thing. If you ever could achieve perfection, it still wouldn't be enough. But the devil just tells us we'll never get there. Um, somebody else? Not, not worthy enough. That, is there, are there some, some bullet points that the devil hits you with? to say, well, you see, this, this happens, so you're not worthy, or just you just feel, like generally, I'm just, I'll never be worthy. What, what is it that he, he just says you're not worthy. Okay, uh, Peggy, I don't screen, I'm, I'm not reading enough scripture, so God's probably not going to love me. Somebody else. I'm not doing enough for him. Um, so, um, so, God's probably disappointed in me. Somebody else. Anybody has another enough that you're not up? Um, Shirley? Not smart enough? Boy, the devil just beats people over the head. I, I don't know enough. I'm not spiritually deep enough. Uh, not holy enough. Boy, that you can get in. I mean, I, because oh, we don't want to go there, but... Um, we all have our ways of realizing, gee, if I, was, if I was really a good Christian, I wouldn't be thinking this, or I wouldn't be doing this, or I wouldn't be saying this, or I wouldn't be watching this, or boom, 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 boom. Um, anybody else? Um, so we all, have our, we all have our enoughs. And here's my question. Can you ever do enough? Can you ever be enough? No. But that doesn't keep, that does, for some reason, that doesn't keep us from listening to the devil every time he hits us with it and, 
and getting sucked into a conversation like, wow, you know, that's probably right. I should totally do something about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How can we possibly be perfect? But, now, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, okay, here, if you want to achieve salvation on your own, just be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Ah. Um, they should close the book. You never go on to chapter 8, just close the book right there in chapter 7 because you're not going to get there. Uh, can you do enough? Can you be enough? Uh, Peggy brought up a good point. So, What's the difference between guilt and conviction? <laughs> What's the difference between guilt and conviction? The deliver the delivery. So uh, enunciate that more boldly. Right. And that can be, a, yeah, the, whenever you're feeling guilt and shame and like, oh, um, I might as well just go stick my head in an oven because I'm tired of going through this. That's, that's the accuser. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Guilt always makes you feel like a failure and it makes you feel ashamed and hopeless and accused. Because uh, all the devil wants to do is kick sand in your face and beat you down. Uh, conviction always comes with hope. The Holy Spirit just, he gets our attention and he says, you know, Jonathan, I love you, but you've got to cut this out. Jonathan, I, I love you. I care about you. You're, you know you're hurting yourself with this, right? Let me, let me come. Let's just... Let me handle this. Let me work with you on this. Um, this is a... Um, you're headed down a path here that's not going to help you. It's not going to help anybody around you. But I love you. And just take my hand and we'll work this out together. Guilt always makes you feel alone, abandoned, and rejected. Yeah, condemnation. Guilt brings condemnation. And conviction brings hope. You are not abandoned. It's going to be okay. Just trust me. Just let go of it. Just let go of it and let's walk through this together. So most of the time, we get hit with guilt and we give up. And sometimes, uh, so the the first thing we have to do is say, well, I know I'm not abandoned. I know that I'm loved. I know that my sins are already forgiven, devil. So um, I'm not talking to you anymore. Jesus, please help me get out of this. Jesus, this is obviously one of those things that, that living by the law could never free me from. So Jesus, help me, help me get out of this. Help me make the change I need to make. Give me your strength. Can you do enough? No. Can you be enough? No. Can you ever be enough? Can you ever be enough? 
No, you can't ever be enough because that's not even the conversation anymore. Uh, how do we escape this trap? There's a trap. How do we can escape this trap? I'm dead, Jim. Or, or I'm dead, Jesus. Why do you want to say this? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. Let's read that together. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. How, how enough can a dead person be? Except to be dead. Deader than the doornail. That's, I mean, that's dead enough. Dead people... Dead people are no longer required to be enough. Right? All right. Dead people are no longer required to be enough. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer. I'm not even alive. Christ lives in me. Let's read this next part together. And the life which I now live in the flesh. How do we live it? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I think, So the only reason I'm still walking around today and breathing and taking nourishment is because of the faith that I have placed in the Son of God. I, my entire life is an act of faith. My entire, my choices, my, my meditations, my direction, it's all an act of faith in the Son of God. I know He loved me. I know He gave Himself up for me. And so it's okay for me to be dead. Let's embrace being dead. How, nobody ever does that. Do you, believe, do you believe this? I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. Do you believe that? It's in the Bible. Let's take, let's take, do you believe this or not? Is it just pie in the sky? The Bible says it's true. The Bible says that Laura is dead right now. That the old Laura is dead. Um, Randy and Karen, dead, dead. Carl and Carlene, dead, dead. Wayne's dead. Jonathan's dead. Everybody on the back row, dead. Shirley's dead. Um, Peggy's also dead. We're all... Okay, let's all, let's, everybody who, who, who would like to be dead, raise your right hand, okay? Okay, well... <laughs> No, raise your left hand. Raise, raise a hand. Wiggle your nose. Should, should being dead make a difference? Uh, yes, if we really understand what it was. I am dead. Why do I constantly... This is a conversation I was having with myself this week. It's the only reason this is in here. I'm dead. Why do I constantly refuse to recognize and accept that? I am worse than weak. I can do nothing. The only life I have, the Bible says the only life I have is his life. Anything else beyond that is in the area of deadness. Dead, 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 dead. I'm invited to surrender to that and trust him for everything. All of the the message about, can dead people even do this? We don't even watch the zombie shows. How do you know what zombies can do? <laughs> yes. That's right. <laughs> oh, no, don't. 
You've been, don't talk, don't start with that. So, so it comes down to this. I am worthy because he's living in me and he's worthy. All of these people, Paul was saying, uh, obviously you judge yourself to be not worthy of the gospel message, so I'm going to somebody else. Because the Jews were so thoroughly sucked into the do better, try hard, live by the law message that they didn't want to surrender that life to him. They, they wanted to keep doing this. They didn't see how it could possibly be true that God would do anything else for them than that. But I'm worthy because he is living in me. I'm dead. I'm just completely dead. Jesus is enough. Anytime, anytime the devil starts to come down on you by saying, Cheryl, you know, you're not smart enough. I don't have to be smart enough. Jesus is enough. Wayne, the devil says, um, you're not enough. You just say, I don't have to be enough. Jesus is enough. Carl doesn't have to be enough. Crystal doesn't have to be enough. Chuck doesn't have to be enough. I don't have to be enough. Even Anna. Anna, you don't have to be enough. Because why? Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And he is living in me. You are worthy because Jesus made you worthy. You are enough because Jesus is living in me. You're dead. Turn around and give somebody a high five and say, congratulations for being dead. because Jesus died for you and his presence, his power, his life. Peggy's going to say something. That's right. The l- you have a new life. Your old life with the old sin and the old stuff that you were trying to defeat with do better, try harder, that's dead. That's gone. You're delivered from that. It was death. It was killing you in the first place. Jesus died on the cross. That's, you're dead because Jesus died for you. And you have a new life. And that new life is based on continually trusting Him because He lives in you. Jesus is living you. Jesus is living in you right now. We forget that. We forget that A, old Jackie's dead. B, Jesus is living in there. But it makes all the difference. I'm worthy because he's living in me and Jesus will always be enough. We, the devil tries a zillion different ways to say you're not worthy. You've judged yourself to be not worthy. It's really the devil lying to you. 
And because you're not worthy, you can't expect God to do anything for you until you straighten out this one, this one area of your life. You've got to do better. You've got to try harder. You can't God, expect God to answer any of your prayers. You can't expect God to give you any blessings. You can't, because you know, you know where you failed. You know where you're failing right now. So you might as well go and hide from God because he's not speaking to you. Because, because you are... You've got to do better. You've got to try harder a lot longer than this if you expect to get anything really from God except crumbs at the bottom on the, on the floor. All right. Let's all say this together. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is always enough. What is this? Are we doing a wave here? Ready? Go. Jesus is always enough. Jesus in me, say that, Jesus in me is always enough. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, I don't know if you've noticed that I preach on this a lot. Um, and you know why I preach on this a lot? Because it's really all there is. And the devil works six days, six and a half days, to try to steal this from you. And I only have a couple of hours to remind you. <clears throat> so, who would you... This is going to be some... De- I'm going to start a little debate here. We'll wrap this up with this. Those of you who follow football, just, just tell me right now who you think currently is the best quarterback in the National Football League. Anybody have? Just throw some names out. Aaron Rodgers. Who? Kirk Cousins. Uh, I heard somebody say Tom Tom Brady. Um, Anna. Drew Brees. On paper, on, on, on paper right now, absolutely Drew Brees is the best quarterback in the National Football League because, what? Yeah, Troy Aikman. Who's, boy, he was, Anna, who do you think? Nathan Click didn't even play quarterback. <laughs> All right. So there are a lot of really good people that they're right at the top of their game. The best players in the history of the National Football League. And so they're the best of the best of the best. Now, let me just ask you this question. No matter whether we're talking about Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Tom Brady, or, I, I like Kirk Cousins. I don't know where he got that opinion, but... Um, <laughs> Oh, oh, that's right. He's, the, he's her fantasy football league quarterback right now. And, and number two is Pump. Well, so who, do you, who are you playing this week? Who, you, who did you sit and who did you play? Okay, so you're not doing very well. Uh, um, <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you this question. Since these guys are so super good, how often do they have to practice? Every single day. How often do they have a playbook that has a certain number of plays in it? How often do they rehearse those plays? Every single day. Um, but they're they're the best. They're the best at this. They're setting records. They're on everybody's fantasy football team. Why do they have to practice every day? Because you know how they got to be the best? They, 
every single day. If they didn't show up for practice every single day, they get fined. fined. Yes, they would, and they'd lose their contracts. But they also forget how to run the place. They They would forget the truth that made them the best of the best. There would still be football players. But the point, the point I'm, one of the reasons why I keep preaching this all the time is because if, if you don't hear it all the time, uh, you, you're going to hear something else. You're going to, the devil's going to fill you with some other kind of lies and you're going to turn into dry bones. The, this is the only hope we have is the grace of God. So I've, I throw in other things occasionally, but I just find like a zillion different ways to tell this story because this is the only way that we can be freed of the things which do better, try harder, living by the law cannot free us from. Jesus is the only one who is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what Jesus is continuing to do in us since we're dead, we are deeply loved by God. We are fully accepted by God. We are completely and permanently forgiven by God. We are lavishly blessed by God. And we're eternally, perfectly embraced by God as his child who brings him unspeakable joy. And the devil says, no, you don't. The Holy Spirit says, yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. You've got to pick a side. What do you want to believe? I remind you every week about this stuff because the devil works overtime to steal it from you, to steal your hope and steal your joy. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you are worthy because Jesus says you are. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just bless you. We thank you. We praise you. We trust you, God. Please, please help us to trust you more. Give us the grace to stay dead and to trust in our deadness that you will come to life. Thank you, God, for reminding us every day that we are weak and that it's not up to us. Remind us every day that in every situation, Jesus is enough. We ask it in his name. Amen.